Hey, paisanos, it's the Super Mario Brothers Super Show. We're with the Mario Brothers, them plumbing's a game. We're not like the others who get all the fame. If your sink is in trouble, you can call us on the double. Welcome to So Many Bits. I'm your host, Bill Nielsen, and as always, joining me from Toronto, Ontario, is Cliff Murphy. Cliff, how are you? I'm doing pretty well, Bill. How are you? I'm doing all right, thanks. This week, we're going to be discussing our Games of the Year for 2015. Now, as opposed to like a, a major gaming publication or even a minor gaming publication, we don't always have the opportunity to play every game that's come out in 2015. Nor do we have all the time to play every single game that has come out in 2015. No, so we're going to be talking about games that we enjoyed that we played this year, but they may not be games that came out this year. They might be even games that we started last year and finished this year. Just games that had the most impact on us in 2015, regardless of the year that they were released specifically. And just as a quick reminder, So Many Bits is brought to you in part by the Second Wind Collective. For more quality podcasts like this one, please visit secondwindcollective.com for details. Now, normally this would be the part of the show where we talk about what games we played, but <laughs> that's what we're going to be doing anyway, so I don't see any reason not to just roll right into that. No, that's uh, that's good. So we'll uh, so each of us have picked five games uh, for 2015, and we will go from the uh, the lowest number to the most influential best game that we played in the year. We'll do it in that order, which I think is that's the way most people do it. I don't think that anybody starts at okay, this is our best game, and then they go down from there. I don't think anyone does that. I yeah, it's pretty uncommon. I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I know that with uh, like the website Giant Bomb, they publish their debates over the game of the year because they put out one. Each writer will put out their own list, but they'll put out a unified list as well. Mm-hmm. And so they publish as a podcast like their debates, and they just go on for hours and hours. <laughs> and we're not going to be doing that exactly. We'll be talking about games that we've played, but we just don't have a lot of cross-section on these games other than the ones we talk about for our episode. Yeah, that's uh, that's certainly true there's lots of different games that are coming out this year and or rather came out this year that look awesome look fantastic but just for one reason or another we haven't been able to play them either because they're expensive or they are just so in depth and there's so much stuff to do in the game that picking any one of them could be very well a month-long commitment which is it's a nice bang for your buck especially when you're paying a lot for a game but still that's a long commitment we might be at peak open worldness right now where we are seeing more games than ever (laughs) with open worlds in them which really uh jacks up the time that is required to fully explore them i mean i can just think of like the witcher 3 Mm -hmm. i never got to play dragon age last year i'd still like to play that just cause 3 looks good Mm -hmm. but every single one of those is massive open world all sorts of stuff to do yeah so there we'll talk about the games we've gotten to. Uh, so I guess first, as kind of a cheat, we did have some honorable mentions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, as part of a pre-show coin toss, Cliff has won the option to <laughs> go first in his choices. All right. And then I'll go second. We'll go back and forth. All right. Well, I will go first. Well, my honorable mention is a game that I haven't actually played yet, but based on the previous history of the series, I am certain I will enjoy it. And from the reviews of the game, it looks like it's excellent. Uh, it's excellent. So it seems odd to be picking an honorable mention for a game that I haven't played, but my honorable mention is Fallout 4. I haven't uh, played it yet, but it's on my radar. It's something that I'm going to be doing when I get to the winter break in a couple of weeks, and uh, I'm very much looking forward to it. And I know the series, and I know the company that makes the game, so I have no doubts of the quality and the rampant 
bugs that are in the game, which I very much look forward to discovering. Yes, uh, there are plenty of bugs already discovered, but plenty more to find, I'm sure. That's the joy of a Bethesda game. Isn't that nice? Isn't that nice? Everybody can be working on it for so long, and then there'll just be another bug just around the corner. Oh, that's exciting. My honorable mention, then, would be a game that I, I have played, though, to be fair, if I could also add a game, I would say Fallout 4 is a game I'm looking forward to playing in the next weeks or months coming up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that would be Splatoon. Yeah, yeah. I never got a chance to play Splatoon as well, but it looks just absolutely charming. Splatoon is a lot of fun, and it plays quite a bit differently than any other competitive shooter I've ever tried. And mm-hmm. I really got sucked into like the, the bright, vibrant colors, the, the catchy kind of punk pop music. There's just like a fun vibe to the whole game that's not like completely gritty and entrenched in like a modern military warfare setting that really made things fun for me i would say that even like the social media stuff that surrounds the game where you can see like the meverse drawings that people did even just that stuff was a lot of it was really good like Mm -hmm. lots of excellent artwork lots of funny memes about like the squid or kid stuff and then the game itself was an interesting experience where you have to use the Wii U tablet to aim. And that's something I never had to do before with a game. And it really enriched my uh, playing. That's cool. Did you find it worked for you? It was a bit of a challenge to get used to. It took me a while to adjust to the idea of getting tilting to aim. And I would end up using the roller a lot because I wasn't always able to <laughs> aim well. You'd go for the uh, the weapon that requires the least amount of precision. Right, yeah, the roller is a melee class, and also it's best at... Another thing that makes this game unique is that it's not about kills and deaths. It's about using paint or ink to cover as much of the level as possible in your own team's ink. Mm -hmm. And then while you're on your own team's ink, you can move more quickly, and you can submerge and go as a squid, and you you essentially cannot move on the other team's ink. It will damage you when you move in an absolute crawl. So the roller is the best at covering the most ground. Mm -hmm. So it works out well that you end up picking that anyway. Yes, yes. I would see a lot of people playing rollers. There were a couple other weapons that stood out to me, but definitely the roller was one of the more popular ones, like maybe the most popular weapon class that I saw. Cool, cool. Uh, I have as another honorable mention to add there without having a chance to play it, but uh, Super Mario Maker looks as though it's been super unique. And it looks as though it's super, super fun just to do all the levels that people are creating. But uh, again, I haven't had a chance to play it because it looks super expensive. (laughs) It is brand new, and they're not uh, discounting that game at all. They are not. I was talking to a student of mine the other day, and he was uh, recommending the new Xenoblade game. And I said, oh, okay, cool, I'll check it out. What's it go for, like 60 bucks? And he said, no, it's about 80 And I thought, $80? $80? And that had a real moment when I was like, oh, my goodness. Games are more expensive now than they once were. You could buy a full, fully-fledged AAA title for much less than that previously. So basically what I'm saying is it's a little bit later than it once was. <laughs> <laughs> Now, I know with the exchange rate, that comes out to be about $60 US. And then previously, I think for a long time with like PlayStation and PlayStation 2 games, those came out at $49.99 US. That was the benchmark. And then Mm -hmm. with the next generation, the 360 and the PS3, they knocked it up to $60. Mm -hmm. And it's stayed there pretty consistently since. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, it's still still a shame. It is still a shame. Maybe you can pick that up on discount, you know, in the next... uh... In the next year or something like that? Yeah, Yeah, something like that. Assuming that the the next new game hasn't come along or the NX hasn't come along 
and That's swept true. away our hearts. I am looking forward to, at some point, just going into like a second-hand game store, perhaps again over the winter break, and just going in with, like, let's say, 50 bucks and seeing what I can pull out, you know? Maybe I'd be able to find something that was, you know, one of the big new releases, big, massive, open world, like four years ago. And now I'm like, oh, good, I can finally play this. <laughs> That's what I did with, on Black Friday, I picked up Wolfenstein, The New Order, for like 10 bucks on the PSN network. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, and that was, I wouldn't have been happy if I'd paid $60 for that game, but it was a fun shooter. I played <laughs> it for like five hours, and I was like, okay, that, that's okay. good. Yeah, that's worthwhile. Uh, do you have any more honorable mentions? Yes, one more, and that would be Drawful. Yeah, Drawful. Explaining party games to people can be like the worst part of a party, I think, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. is why, as we maybe talked about in the Cards Against Humanity episode, Cards Against Humanity is so easy to integrate into a social setting mm -hmm. is you just, you know, you pick up the cards and you play the cards. So Drawful does require a little bit of fussiness to set up because everyone has to have their own tablet or computer set up. You need to use your own computer and like probably ideally plug it into a TV using a cable to get the screen large enough and you kind of need to explain to people what's going on but once it gets going i th that was one of the most successful party game experiences i've had is playing drawful with non-gamers that's cool that's very cool it's got game mechanics that reward you for both winning the game and having fun playing the game which is kind of odd if you think about it but with a, a party game with a group competitive game like that you need to have those incentives both in place and i think they nail it mm-hmm mm-hmm yeah. And just for, I guess, for anyone who doesn't know what Drawful is, it's kind of a cross between Pictionary and Balderdash. You're, everyone is given a topic that they need to draw a picture of. Now, because you're using usually your phone to draw it, the drawing probably isn't very good. And then in one person at a time, your picture goes up on the screen and other people have to make a guess at what your drawing was supposed to be. But they can also add their own fake guesses at what they think it should be. And mm -hmm. then the, the, there's a goal of trying to identify the correct guess and also getting people to name your guess as what they thought was correct. And there are points for both. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it uh, it's pretty entertaining. Yeah, I, I'm, if you get the chance to play it, the Jackbox Party Pack is probably on discount on some platforms mm -hmm. at this point or will be on discount soon. So I would mm -hmm. recommend it if you... I'm sure it is. People. Cool. Yeah, cool. Cool. Okay, well, let's do. Uh, let's start doing our uh, our five uh, games from 2015. At this point, it'd be nice if we had like us if we had a sound clip of us saying uh, number five or something in some dramatic voice. So maybe we can just say number five in unison. Would that sure. work? Sure. Yeah, I think okay. that works. That definitely right, won't be by a lagged Skype call. <laughs> yeah, that's not going to be affected at all. Okay, ready? Okay, here we go. Number, number five, five. <laughs> okay <laughs> close enough yeah. okay good all right so my number five for 2015 something that thought was extremely worthwhile when it came out originally is the expansions for mario kart 8 now not a fully fledged game in itself and mario kart 8 came out the year before but the most recent expansion as far as i remember came out in about may of last of 2015 and in terms of pound for pound just the fact that it was about 10 bucks and you got eight brand new tracks in each package so 16 new tracks in total not to mention three new characters and some new carts and other new customization options it basically just increased the amount of content that was in an already robust game by 50 percent 
in terms of something like Mario Kart, that's a remarkable feat because really I think that people go for when they look at Mario Kart is just the amount of choices, not just the amount of racers that you have because ultimately I guess they fall into just five you know weight classes, but the amount of tracks that are available. The fact that you could sit down with friends and play for an hour and not play the same track twice is pretty awesome. It just provides additional challenges for people who have been playing the game a whole bunch of times before as not only that, but it also adds in a bit of the nostalgia factor because they add in some tracks that were previously in different games and uh, now they're, you know, they brought them back and now they're available. And uh, not only that, but they also did the tie over with The Legend of Zelda and with Animal Crossing as well. So you could drive around as Link or a couple of characters from Animal Crossing. There was a Hyrule themed track where the coins were replaced by rupees, which was a nice little detail. There was an Animal Crossing one when you were basically just going through a nice little Animal Crossing style village. Very quaint with the nice music and everything. So in terms of the amount of times that I've I've played those expansions and just the amount of content that was actually in those expansions in something that's pretty unique for Nintendo, this is why uh, I'm picking the Mario Kart expansions as my number five. Well, what I can't believe the most is that they continue to support this game so long after its original release with new content. I'm pretty pleased with that. And I mean, I think it's maybe a new business model that they're doing, which I certainly appreciate it. They're still continuing to do the same stuff with uh, Smash Brothers as well, uh, releasing new characters. Did you see the uh, Cloud release trailer for Smash Brothers as a side note? Yep, I I I can't quite believe that Cloud is going to be in a Nintendo game. I can't quite believe that either. I mean, in Brawl, when they released Snake, everybody was saying, like, oh, well, there was the Twin Snakes that was on the GameCube, and uh, the original Metal Gears were on, like, Nintendo consoles. Everyone's like, okay, okay, that makes sense. But then now you're looking at Cloud, and you're like, okay, he was exclusively on Sony consoles, so what's going on here? I'm still super super stoked for it i'm very much looking forward to it but uh, i think it's awesome that they're still doing that well my number five game for 2015 was one that was also an older game as we talked about before that kind of snuck up on me I, I got it cheaply as part of a steam sale and then kind of finally got around to playing it like a year after i had originally made the purchase and cine mora was a kind of a revelation for me that a shooter could have so many fresh inventive mechanics in it that really put it over the top there's this weird dark story about time travel it, it's it doesn't sound that fun or put i was just like kind of shocked by the depth that they were willing to go with making a story for this you know horizontal scrolling shooter and then mm -hmm. you have the power-up mechanic that's similar to sonic the hedgehog where you grab all these power-ups as they come across the screen and then if you're hit you don't die. You have to go out and get the power-ups again to reclaim all your attack power. And then there's a bullet time mechanic where you can slow the game down to make it easier to get through the, the shots. Mm -hmm. And then finally, there's a timer for every level that you need to reach before, if you get shot, you're penalized with the time that you have left going down. And then when you destroy enemies, the time goes back up, which creates a really interesting tension where you get into this panicked cycle where you get shot. And all your power-ups go out, so you have to run out and get them in the few invulnerability frames you have, shoot all the bad guys, but you might get shot again, and you have to find them all again. It's really tense and exciting. One of the best shooters I've ever had the chance to play. That's such great description of that game. I don't have it. I haven't played it, but I remember you talking about it beforehand. I remember looking at it and thinking, like, wow, that seems awesome. You're super enthusiastic about it, so it's making me want to go and get it. <laughs> if you have the opportunity, it's probably available. I think, well, no, it's definitely available 
on Steam, 360, and PS3. Usually when they have like the big sales on Steam, it'll drop down like 75, 80% off, be like 2 or $3. Do you, uh, do you know when the uh, winter sale is supposed to start? No, I would imagine after Christmas. Because, I mean, they just had the Thanksgiving sale. Mm. Maybe they'll space it out a little bit. Maybe they will. Okay, you ready to say number four at the same time? Oh, yeah. Number, number four. four. That was pretty good. Okay, it's like, my... it's like the Univoice on all those improv games you'll do where it's like you'll start out yeah, that's doing what it, it is. but then you'll slow down as you think more and try and get more in sync. Yeah, it's just like that. Or you notice that everybody's trying to stall for time and so they start every single sentence with, well, at the beginning. It's pretty fun too. <laughs> uh, so my number four is another expansion because uh, that's all I play. It's my favorite type of expansion. It's an expansion that comes as a free update date it's shovel knight plague of shadows now i just started playing this the other day you may remember that shovel knight was i think what we talked about in the very first episode but i loved shovel knight i thought it was uh just fantastic start to finish in terms of gameplay and theming and storyline everything about it i loved and as a free update to the original shovel knight uh the developers released something called plague of shadows in which you play as plague knight who's one of the enemies from the very first game and they sort of introduce his own storyline which is similar sort of to the other one and to the original uh, game in the sense that you've got to go through and collect different uh, things from all the other bosses uh, but it's done in a very different way and when you play the game what's interesting is that the levels retain a lot of the similarities from the first one like they're all pretty much the same pretty much the same setup enemies all that sort of stuff some slight differences based on plague knight because yeah the way that he moves or the way that he behaves is very different than shovel knight uh he doesn't have a pogo mechanism which was something that i'm still getting accustomed to as i play it uh, i keep instinctively trying to land on enemies and then keep getting hurt um, the other thing as well is he doesn't have quite as robust of a jump, but you can do sort of a double jump. You can also, like, charge up a bomb and then do, like, a flying jump across the screen, which is a lot more difficult to control, but you can get a lot more distance. Past that, in terms of weaponry, you can customize all the different types of potions and things that uh, Plague Knight is going to throw. You could have ones that sort of hover in the air and then seek out enemies, or different ones that sort of go in an arc, or some that explode and release fire along the ground. And you can modify your bombs for different purposes, for different situations. Um, which is which is pretty neat. So I think it's an awesome expansion to the original game that adds a bunch more content that is still within the Shovel Knight sort of realm, but it's super unique and super fun to play and frustrating at times because you're so used to playing a Shovel Knight. But overall, I think it's an awesome, awesome experience. If you already own Shovel Knight, you should be able to update the game if you haven't already uh, so you can get Plague of Shadows, uh, but it's worth your time. That sounds great. I was excited to hear about the Plague of Shadows expansion. I didn't have the chance to play it, but I hope to eventually. I might, sadly, when the Shovel Knight Amiibo comes out, and that might give me the opportunity, in quotes, to buy the Wii U version, and then I can revisit the Plague of Shadows expansion there. Mm -hmm. Well, I did. Uh, <laughs> I played Shovel Knight originally on my computer, and then one night I wanted to play it, but I wasn't near my computer, so I downloaded it on my 3DS. And uh, then, just recently, I thought, well... I want to play it on the Wii, so I've bought it <laughs> on three completely separate things. But uh, it's uh, it's it's worthwhile. It's worthwhile. And I'm looking forward to getting that Amiibo as well. Now, my number four is a game that I've played last year 
and I played it in 2013, and I'm probably going to play it in 2016 and maybe 17 at some point. Yeah. Uh, so Hearthstone is not the best card game I've ever played, which might be an odd admission, but I feel like it does everything else that surrounds the card game so well, it's almost impossible to ignore how well they've transitioned this, what could potentially be a confusing head-scratching process into an, like an invigorating, uh, intuitive gaming experience. So Hearthstone is fairly similar to the Magic the Gathering in that you have mana that you use to play creatures or play spells, and then you use those creatures to attack your opponent or attack your opponent's creatures. And then every turn you get one additional mana incrementally every turn that you can spend. All your mana resets at the beginning of the turn so you have one mana to spend on the turn first turn two mana to spend on the second turn and so forth and they've really expanded what you can do with cards in the digital card space because normally there were limits on how you could make cards work if you're working with paper but here with digital cards they can have random effects that affect like six or seven different objects on the board they can be a card that makes another card they can be a card that copies an opponent's card from their deck and puts it into your deck. You have cards that can steal things from your opponent. There are cards every hero you play as has a power. You have cards that steal your opponent's hero power or give you a whole new hero power. There are just all these different ways that they've found to take the digital space that they have and make new exciting ideas for cards that weren't available in many of the other card games I've played over time. And it's just a very easy game to get into because it is free to play. And free to play does set off some alarms for me when I hear it in other games. But here I think it's very okay in the way they do it. They have a set of cards that are reasonably powerful that you can use from the jump. And then there are ways you can gain gold every day using daily quests just by playing games with your regular cards. And then you can gain new cards or you can play the arena mode, which is a way of sampling all the cards in the game randomly over time. I just think they do a really good job bringing that experience out, bringing out new cards here and there, and I hope to continue to play the game going forward. I think it's really uh, really neat that they can do uh, a bunch of the things that they do in the game simply because you can't do that in reality. Like when you mentioned that you can copy somebody else's card, uh, you wouldn't be able to do that if you're playing an actual physical uh, tabletop card game. Uh, but that sounds as though it's just one of all the different unique things that can happen only in the virtual realm. Yes, that's true. And and there's like my personal favorite card is called Ysera. And Ysera is this dragon. And at the, at the end of every turn you have, Ysera dreams, which gives you one of five different random cards and puts it in your hand. And they have five different varied effects. Sounds pretty exciting. Agreed. Okay. Okay, right. you ready to say number three? Oh, yeah. Number, number three. three. Okay, so number three for me is a game that came out a long time ago, but I only finally... In a galaxy far, far away? No, it came out in this galaxy. Oh, it may God. have had a simultaneous release in a different galaxy, but to be honest, I don't know. Uh, what am I talking about? Of course I know. No, they haven't done that. <laughs> <laughs> um, this game, it's just... What more can you say about this game that hasn't already been said? My number three for 2015 is Fallout 3. Uh, now, I know that all the hype has been around Fallout 4 this year, and uh, I'm right there with everybody, but uh, it actually, right around uh, the end of the summer, was when I started finally playing Fallout 3 for the first time. Uh, now, I've been familiar with uh, Bethesda stuff before having played uh, Oblivion or Skyrim, but I never really gave Fallout 3 too much of a try. I had it because I think I, I bought it on sale on Steam and just left it there, like not unlike every other person who has Steam. 
Um, but uh, I never really got around to playing it or doing anything with it. I tried it for a little bit, but I didn't quite get into it. Um, well, I tried it again this summer, and then I immediately got into it, and I loved it. I thought it was uh, uh, fantastic. Um, just all the different things that you can do in the game and all the different ways that you can approach the game and the amount of uh, customization and the unique sort of world that they've created um, and the fact that uh, so many of the characters have uh, just interesting perspectives on the world uh, and just all the different interactions and things that you get to do. Uh, I loved it. I thought it was great. I've played it uh, a whole bunch, and I can imagine I'll play it a whole bunch again, uh, even before getting into Fallout uh, 4. But uh, the exploration aspect is really what appealed to me, because so often in the game you'll find all these little just moments or these little discoveries that you have in all different sorts of places. Even when you're just wandering away on the wasteland, you may discover a building, and you go in and you explore it, and you find something cool or... Uh, you find another quest that you need to do, or you find an entirely different group of people. Uh, it's always interesting. And even though I've played it a whole bunch, I don't even think I've started to scratch the surface. Um, I'm sure that there's still hundreds and hundreds of locations in the game that I haven't even found. Uh, so that uh, those aspects of the game are really what appeal to me. That's very cool, man. I know with Fallout 3, I played that probably for like 100 hours around the time that it came out. Mm -hmm. And just for context on how there was still stuff that I hadn't explored, in Fallout 3, they allude to something that's going to happen in Fallout 4, where there's a quest about finding like an artificial intelligence that's run away that I never saw. Hmm. I played the game for 100 hours, and they were in Fallout, in that quest, they allude to something that becomes a big theme of Fallout 4, where there's like, I guess part of the plot is that there's like AIs out there running around now, and I just, I, I'd never seen that. And I, I thought that that was pretty incredible that there was that element of the game I hadn't explored, and there were probably plenty more after it. Yeah. There may have even been some of those aspects or something in the game that was going on that you just didn't, you hadn't even encountered it, you know? No. Um, and it, yeah. they could have been doing that and also, you know, alluding to things in the future. It's pretty awesome. So my number three is also an older game. It's a 2010 remake, I believe, of a 2008 RPG, and it's Persona 4 Golden. Hmm. So when I talked about Persona 4 Golden, I think uh, on the podcast, I think I was a little harsh on it because I was like, it's a good game. And then I spent 10 minutes talking about something I hated about it. <laughs> right. But Persona 4 Golden is a really good game. It, it takes an RPG and it does keep the traditional elements of dungeon crawling, buying equipment, leveling up skills and that. And it adds this whole other aspect of exploring your town and getting to know your other characters in your party that really is only present, I've found, in Bioware games. That the extent that you can get to know the characters of your party, the other kids at Yasagami High School, where you get to, to bond with them and become friends and like you each know each other's deepest, darkest secrets. Hmm. But it's something that is so rarely seen in games with RPGs in them that it's really impressive. And it doesn't happen quite the same way as in Bioware where they have the dialogue options, but you do have these uh, schedules you have to keep, basically, where people are available on certain days and you are moving through a linear path of time where you're on a calendar. And then, like, Yosuke might be available Tuesday and Thursday after school, but Kanji is also available on Tuesdays or Fridays. And so you need to kind of balance meeting these people and getting to know them. And they managed to tie it into the actual combat aspects, the more traditional RPG aspects, because they get, as your bond with your friends grows, they get more powers and skills, and then they can do 
extra things in battle. Like they'll take an, a blow for you in your place, which was a kind of a weird and cool integration of the friendship element. And the game is really long, but didn't feel really long. It's like 60 hours to complete. And I played it through two times so for a total of 100 hours. And I enjoyed it pretty much the whole way. I would recommend even still going back and exploring Persona 4. It's like a digital download on PS3. Or Persona 5 will be out pretty soon because it has been seven years since the last one. So either way, I would recommend giving it a look. Awesome. That's super awesome. Yeah, seems like it's definitely worthwhile. I like the fact that it uh, gives you appointments to keep in the game and then uh, you get to play a game which is basically like sticking to a schedule. That's fun. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, like you have to study for your exams. You have to join a club. <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't like to do all that? <laughs> all, right. all right. Number two. two. Okay, so number two for me uh, was one that we reviewed a little bit earlier on. But uh, it was one of those games that the experience is so unique that I wanted other people to share in the experience. And I wanted people to see what was going on. And that game is The Stanley Parable which is by no means the longest game out there. You can accomplish the game in its entirety in 20 minutes. But then, after that, you can make different choices in the game. And ultimately, that's what the game is about. You're sort of an unnamed person. Well, I guess your name is Stanley. <laughs> but you're a faceless person in the game. The unnamed parable. The unnamed parable. Uh, and uh, the narrator basically walks you through what you're supposed to do, saying, like, Stanley left his office. And then you're like, oh, okay, and so you leave your office. And then, you you know, you walk down the hall, and you find that you're part of this big corporation, and everybody's been tested upon, and then you find your way out, and everything's nice and happy. And that's the storyline. But then you can choose to disobey the narrator and do something that the narrator ha doesn't have you doing. In which case, the narrator kind of gets offended or tries to get you back on track, saying, like, no, that's not what Stanley was supposed to be doing. Or even if you'll stick around in certain areas for too long, it'll say, like, Stanley enjoyed watching whatever it is that you're doing. Uh, and you can actually get a whole bunch of different endings in the game depending on the choices that you make and depending on what happens. Even as simple as right at the end of the game, you can push the, the deactivate button to get out but if you push the wrong button it just self-destructs the entire building and you're trying to figure out how to get out but you just can't and that's the ending of stanley there you can get into some other endings when you get into like this weird panicked situation where you have no idea where you are and the narrator's panicking and uh you're trying to you're in you sort of warp through space at the same time and you're going through this endless hallway and no one has any idea what's happening and uh, in another completely different ending, the narrator himself gets totally lost and has no idea where you're supposed to be going. And he puts a line down, which is like the Stanley Parable storyline, and you're supposed to follow it. And then it goes all over the place. And uh, it's hilarious the entire time. Uh, so it's a game, certainly, but also if I can be a little, I don't know, weird or arrogant, it's also sort of an experience. Uh, and it really just plays on that notion of choices in-game uh, in a way that's light and entertaining and uh, very, very clever. Um, I certainly recommend anybody who is a fan of video games to play The Stanley Bearable, to check it out, and to try and get all of the insane achievements that exist. Hmm. I mean, I definitely enjoyed playing the Stanley Parable when we talked about it, and I'm I'm glad that it stuck with you so much. I I feel like 
Yeah, that is a game that I would recommend to non-gamers because it is something unlike what you would traditionally experience and doesn't require like a lot of fluency with controls and like advanced jumping mechanics and stuff yeah. like that. Yep, it uh, it really doesn't require any of that stuff. So it's uh, it's super unique. And I think that uh, for my f- for my top five list, I was just trying to think of the games that we played this year, that I played this year, that stuck out to me as being super unique. And the number two one that I had was uh, Stanley Parable. Well, my number two, I think, is about as divergent from the Stanley Parable as you can get. <laughs> and I would have to say it's the best, the the gameplay experience I had for Metal Gear Solid Five: The Phantom Pain was the best I had all year. And the gameplay loop of you sneaking into a base, being covert, knocking out the guards, Fultoning the guards, they go back to your base, they help you gain new skills and new tech that you can use to better be able to sneak and capture more guards and get into more bases was the most fun I've had playing a game purely on its game mechanics this year. I think they managed to really shine that to uh, shine that to a diamond tip. <laughs> hey, if you're going to have a diamond tip, you better believe that it's shined. I... I really hope you do because it's very shiny in this case. They (laughs) did a great job of kind of in earlier Metal Gear Solid games, they had these sneaking mechanics and they had a lot of context sensitive commands you could do to allow you full control over the environment, but they were all pretty clunky. They, they, it didn't quite feel right. Snake didn't quite feel like he was fluid moving around in different places and the guards were pretty stupid. Mm -hmm. And here are the guards, you know, they're not perfect, but their game is, been raised and your game has been raised it really feels easy and natural to go around and get to different places uh it's a little unnatural that snake can run at a dead sprint across several miles of open afghanistan terrain but it does make the game a lot easier to play and that you can move around and do all these different context sensitive commands and climbing and knocking guys out and fultoning them out very easily once you've learned all the different controls it's not clunky anymore there is a sort of a warm-up time where you need to familiarize yourself with how to knock down a guy interrogate him knock him out mm-hmm. bring him out into the open so he can be faulted but once you get that it's very easy and carefree and it's just kind of a shame that they couldn't finish the game and the thing that really holds it back from being number one as great as playing it is is that the story is incomplete they t- the the first act of the game you would say or the, for really the first two-thirds of the game is a story about revenge but it's not a very good story it's pretty hammy it's pretty ridiculous with its villains and its motivations for everyone and you get to the end of that and that might have been an okay place to end the game but then there's there's more there's kind of like it's kind of like not an epilogue but six or seven tiny epilogues that add to the story that you have, but not really in a satisfying way, not in the way that concludes the game, because the way this was advertised when it originally came out is you are going to learn how Big Boss went from being kind of a a mostly noble hero of the you know the cold war era into being the villain at the start of the very first metal year. And if you don't if we if I could spoil it a little bit, you don't learn that. You don't (laughs) <laughs> you don't get that resolution at all. Ultimately, it's left unfulfilled, and you're left with a lot of questions still about how things were supposed to work out. Because even on the disc itself, literally, there are uh, deleted scenes from missions that were not put into the game that you can find. And mm. it's just kind of a strange... It's strange to say that a game would be better if it had less content, but mm. this game would be, in my mind, better if it had less content. That's interesting. Do 
less of what you have, but do it better overall. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I can, I can certainly appreciate that. I would, I'm always of the opinion for something to be shorter, but better overall consistent quality than something's longer with quality that kind of starts to waver a little bit. Um, I felt very much the same way with something like Bravely Default, which was that uh, 3DS RPG I was playing a while back. About halfway through, it all started to get really, really super repetitive, which seemed like things were being added in just to draw out the length. But I was thinking, overall, that ruined my impression of the game, just because I would have preferred it to be shorter and more efficient. Mm -hmm. The same here. And I don't even say, I'm not even saying it has to be that much shorter. The main, the first two thirds of the game, that main story is 50 hours long. So. Mm -hmm. We're talking cutting it down from like 80 hours to 50 hours. I feel like if they had done that, and, and like the weird thing too is like a lot of the crazy story that you associate with earlier Metal Gear Solids is missing. It's just like all gameplay for like a 20 to 30 hour chunk. Hmm. Mm -hmm. But it, it just doesn't all come together into a finished prod product that is satisfying. I'm not even going to bring up like the online stuff which is kind of a joke where it's like if you don't engage in the online and you don't pay for like resource insurance you can get penalized in your single player game which is pretty aggravating yeah yeah that seems like it would be but even with all these faults aside still your number two game from 2015 yes the gameplay itself was so good it was the best playing game i did i got to enjoy all year mm -hmm. cool and with that we get to Number one. one. See, I see, I feel like you're intentionally trying to slow it down there. I okay. Know, well, we can we can run it back. We can run it back. Yeah. No, it's fine. Well, okay. we'll, we'll we'll go with it. Uh, okay. So our number one. This is one that uh, we actually both picked. Pretty much. We did. Yeah, we pretty much picked this independently of each other, and then came together and thought, oh, oh, well, that's not really a surprising. Uh, because uh, the number one game for both of us was sort of an unexpected uh, gem that sort of appeared out of nowhere and not only managed to capture our interest, but the interest of all sorts of gamers all over the world, uh, and that is Undertale. Uh, so Undertale coming out just in September, and just an extremely small, short uh, game. You can finish it in about five hours or so, but the amount of personality that is in this game is staggering. I know it, it's kind of like an indie hipster thing to say like that this tiny five-hour game that you can buy for $10 on Steam is the best game of the year, but I, I would stick by that in that there's a very solid game to play here, a very solid story, and it also goes beyond that to give you things to think about in terms of how games are played and in terms of the themes that go into video games in general mm -hmm. and i think very few games can accomplish all of those different elements at the same time yeah it's uh it's pretty remarkable how it blends together so many different aspects i mean if you look at it at its basic sort of level it's an rpg um arguably an action rpg but uh you're you go into random battles which are turn-based but when enemies attack you, instead of just sitting there and taking damage, you get control of a little cursor, a little icon on the screen, which is your soul in the theme of the game, but it's a little heart. And the enemies do different attacks, which are things that kind of come into this field that you're in, and you can move your cursor around to try and avoid the attacks. So the game alternates between uh, RPG sort of aspects and then this odd sort of like uh, real-time... Um, sort of heads up, 
I don't, I'm, I don't even know how to describe it. There's a term for it, but I forget what it is. Uh, but it's a very active way of doing these sort of battles. Um, but I think the phrase that people have used is like a bullet hell shooter. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to describe it. Not unlike Cinemore, or sorry, Cinemora, right? Or Sinemora? Yeah, Sinemore. Uh, okay, think. good. Okay. Uh, but yeah, it's it's got a lot of aspects that are very, uh, very bullet hell. Um, but the neat thing is that all the enemies have attacks that are unique to their own characteristics. There's one character that kind of looks like a muscular horse. And uh, you can flex, and then he'll do an attack, which is a bunch of muscly arms that come up and try and hit your cursor. Uh, there's a skeleton that you can fight named Papyrus, and all of his attacks are bones that go across the screen of different lengths. And uh, towards the end of the battle, he uses his what he calls his regular attack, because his special attack is taken away from this little tiny white dog that appears. Um, but he uses just a regular attack, <laughs> which is a bunch of bones again. But then the bones are spelling out the words, cool dude. And then there's a bone that goes by on a skateboard. And uh, there's this gigantic bone that you actually have to jump over. Um, but it stretches out the entire box, the entire field that you're in, which is unique to that character. Um, there's, uh, another character, Undyne, who uses a spear, and all of her battles have you frozen in the center, just having to point your shield in different directions to stop these spears from coming in and trying to hit you. Um, but all of the battles are very unique to the enemies that you're facing. Even all of the random chance battles that you have. Um, there's some enemies that are so pathetic that you can just spare them immediately and then they panic, right? And they, they just <laughs> don't even... There's one character at the beginning called like Wimson or something like that and <laughs> you can spare it immediately because it it's just such a pathetic enemy. Um, but there's other enemies that you can encounter later on, which also have personality, there's an enemy called the Sundare Plane, which is sort of like, it looks like an airplane with a French beret on it, but uh, you can defeat it by just, like, approaching it a little bit and trying to get close to it. And then uh, your field of battle, I guess, has these little uh, airplanes that come down, and you've got to get close to those airplanes without touching them, and that's how you defeat the enemy. Uh, so every single battle that you do has this unique aspect to it. It never at any point feels as though you're grinding or you're going through all of these enemies uh, and they just become faceless, nameless enemies. Um, we talked about in Earthbound recently how I was trying to get that uh, special sword and I was fighting so many enemies to the point when I was hardly even paying attention to what I was doing. That doesn't happen in Undertale. Every single enemy that you fight is unique and has a uh, personality to it. And you feel invested in every single battle that you encounter. Yeah, I mean, the thing that strikes out to me, sticks out to me, is that every element of this game has been crafted particularly with its individual charm. And everything comes together into a complete comprehensive gaming experience that tells one story. Mm -hmm. And in terms of... Metal Gear Solid, they are trying to tell a story in that game, but I, th I think it kind of falls flat. And I think in Stanley Parable, they do tell a story, but in terms of actual gameplay, yeah. there isn't really any. No, no, not in Stanley Parable. 
No, but Undertale manages to do both of these things very well. And while, you know, it, it looks like an older game, yeah. intentionally so. <laughs> it, it does. There's moments when you're looking at the game and it just looks like garbage. <laughs> like it looks, <laughs> it's it's so, like the, the graphics are by no means impressive. But there are lots of cool graphical moments. Um, in every battle down at the bottom of the screen, there's four options that you can choose to pick you can uh, pick fight if you want to attack people you can pick act if you want to do slightly different things like try to talk to the enemies or something Uh, you can use items and you can also show mercy in one of the final battles of the game depending on how you're approaching things in the game when you're fighting asgore he actually gets this big spear and completely destroys the mercy button which is super super cool it's very much like breaking the fourth wall in that moment in the sense that they're specifically preventing you from as a player using an option that's been available to you throughout the entire game uh which is a pretty neat moment uh there's lots of other instances when that happens as well when you encounter undyne and you're about to fight her for the first time she says uh before i fight you as tradition i must explain to you the story of my people and then she kind of pauses and she says, wait a minute. And then her music kicks in and the screen like zooms in on her, which the game hasn't done before. And she goes, screw it. Why am I going to do this if you're just going to die anyway? And uh, <laughs> which is super exciting. And then towards the end of the game, uh, if you go the neutral route, which is when you're kind of killing some people, but you're not killing everybody. Um, you can face off against uh, uh, a boss who kind of has these odd, like, god-like powers. But when you get to the end of the game, the game actually shuts down. Like, it quits, which is crazy. Um, But then when you reload it, um, it's all different. And it looks as though this character has completely taken over everything. When you try to reload your file, it says that uh, the en- where you are, you're facing off against the enemy who has like super high attack and defense. And uh, instead of saying Undertale in the window at the top, it actually says Flowey Tail, uh, which is... Oh, geez. Yeah, it's super crazy. But then the battle itself that you do doesn't look anything else like any of the other battles. There's no action boxes or anything. You're basically just trying to avoid stuff in this bullet hell sort of situation. But then you notice these action boxes that you previously had ac- uh, you know, you had access to. They just sort of like fly in and you've got to try and find them and hit them. Uh, which just shows how helpless you as a character are, but then how helpless you as a player are as well, which is uh, super, super exciting. <laughs> I mean, that's one of the things, too, is that many games try and be meta, and it kind of falls flat. But Undertale has so much personality, and its characters have so much charm, they kind of get away with that, and it enhances rather than detracts from the game. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I haven't talked about the characters too much but they're all i mean you can play the game a couple of ways you can play it one when you try to like help everyone you try to save everyone or you can play it another way when you basically just try to kill everybody but when you play the way that you're supposed to help everyone the neat thing is that all these enemies that you face off you notice that they actually all have interesting interweaving backstories with each other and they're all friends outside of the game like even before you arrived papyrus is taking cooking lessons with undyne and undyne has been hanging around with alphys and she's been showing her uh anime of from like the human world and you know that 
uh, Sans and Toriel had been uh, seeing each other beforehand, not you know, relationship-wise, but they've been, like, telling jokes to each other through a door. And these are all these other, like, little things that were happening before you arrived. And it's really just adding all this extra personality to these just monsters that they would just be monsters in other games but here they're actual individuals that have you know goals and they have things that they're trying to accomplish uh which is a pretty big commentary for a game to say it's like hey what if we saw things from the enemy's perspective for once um and then past that too the music is just so good um even the basic battle music is uh exciting and engaging it's got a lot of uh sort of old kind of like chiptune sort of stuff but then at the same time there's a bunch of like nice piano uh interwoven into it and uh it all really really comes together for just a fantastic package Mm -hmm. and i think for those reasons and more that's why we (laughs) chose collectively Mm -hmm. uh independently but also collectively (laughs) uh, undertale Mm -hmm. is our favorite game of 2015 barring some shocking release over the next two weeks that we probably won't get able be able to play anyway (laughs) no probably not so that brings another episode of so many bits to a close i guess we can be reached by email at so many bits podcast at gmail.com like us on facebook at so many bits follow us on twitter and tumblr at so many bits subscribe to us on itunes please rate and review or listen to us on soundcloud and last but not least Please check out the rest of the Second Wind Collective for other quality podcasts like this one. Support independent art. The spirit of Dell compels you. And that's it. Number three. (laughs) Every single day, stress comes in every way. I ain't got no time for nobody. My style is rich, dope, fat, and rich. We'll make a cake today that looks rich. Crack, crack, crack the egg into the bowl. Crack, crack, crack.